What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Strength Matrix Podcast. My name is Josh Setledge, and I am the BJJ Strength Coach, and I'm here to help you roll harder on the mat, train smarter in the gym, so you can win more matches and get injured less. Today, we got more questions from Instagram. We got some pretty good ones, a couple that are uh, a little suspect, but uh, it should be a good time regardless. Before I get into answering these questions, I do want to let you know that this episode, just like every other episode, is brought to you by thestrengthmatrix.com, which is your one-stop shop your central hub for all your strength and conditioning training and education needs for the jiu-jitsu athlete. So if you're a jiu-jitsu athlete and you recognize that, okay, I'm going to be competing, I don't want to get injured all the time, and I want to maximize my ability to perform my absolute best on the mat, if that's you, then the Strength Matrix is here to help you out and provide you with a free four-week strength program that you could download by listening to this podcast, all you got to do is just click the link in the description below, drop in your email, and that that uh, training program will be sent to your inbox automatically. You can immediately get started on building strength, so that way you can enhance your overall performance on the mat. As you know, no one ever got injured in a jiu-jitsu match because they were too strong, and no one ever lost a match because they were too strong. So getting strong is the number one thing that you can do when you're off the mat to improve your performance for jiu-jitsu. And if you want a free four-week strength program to help you get started, just click the link in the description below, and the Strength Matrix will send that over to you. Without further ado, let's dive right into these questions. A lot of fun ones today, and like I said, some that are uh, pretty suspect and um just a little different. We'll just leave it at that. So first question from at Muhammad Conifer. His question is, what are the best exercises for forearm strength? That's a really good question. I would say let's put forearm strength and grip strength in the same conversation. Um, part of having a strong grip is also having strong hands and strong fingers. So we, we're not going to necessarily isolate the forearms in this question. We'll just talk about grip training as a whole. So what are some of the best exercises for grip strength? There are several that I'm a big fan of, and they're a little simpler than what a lot of people might uh, initially think, but it's just going to be picking up heavy stuff. So I'm a big fan of deadlifts, especially heavy deadlifts uh, for building grip strength. I use a double overhand grip. So both of my hands are going to, both of my palms, I should say, when I grab the bar are going to be facing my legs. And I also use a hook grip when the weight gets heavier. I don't do a mixed grip where one palm is facing out, one palm is facing in. I'm not a fan of using a mixed grip for jujitsu athletes. I think all jujitsu athletes should just be using a double overhand grip. And then when their grip starts to fail, switch to a hook grip, which is the same as a double overhand grip, except you uh, wrap your thumb around the bar first and then wrap your index and your middle finger over the top of your thumb. It's just a different way you can grip. But I do not use any straps in my strength and conditioning training, and I don't have any of my athletes use straps. There is an argument from some people out there that say, well, well, if you use straps, you can lift more weight. Yeah, probably. But can you lift it and make it look clean? Can you lift it and make your technique absolutely impeccable and perfect? Not 99% of the time, anytime I see an athlete use straps, their deadlift freaking sucks and their form is garbage. So learn how to do the deadlift correctly. Lift as heavy as you can without using straps with a double overhand grip. And I would go as far to say for most jiu-jitsu athletes, their body is not stronger than their grip. 
I've been doing jujitsu for five and a half years now. I've been uh, lifting weights for 13, going on 14 years. I've been, I wrestled for four years before, uh, as or before I started jujitsu. So I've been grappling for a very long time and I've been lifting weights and strength training for a very long time. And I have never had an issue deadlifting or doing heavy bent over rows or heavy dumbbell rows or pull-ups where my grip was an issue. It's just, it's just never happened. My grip has always gotten stronger as I've continued to not use straps. And the issue is, is that a lot of times athletes have a pretty impressive impressively strong grip especially if they're grapplers and they try to lift more weight because their grip is getting tired but that doesn't mean that the rest of their body is prepared to lift that weight safely and with proper technique so one of the best things you can do to strengthen your grip if you do have a grip strength issue is to one not use straps do a lot of heavy rowing and pulling and deadlifting movements trap bar deadlift sumo deadlift conventional deadlift bent over barbell row bent over dumbbell row seated rows cable rows pull-ups lap pull, heavy lap pull downs all that stuff great way to build uh, grip strength now the other thing that I would suggest is using fat grips so you can get the actual blue fat grips from the fat grips company, attach those to dumbbells or a cable machine or a barbell and do different pulling exercises and pressing exercises with fat grips. It's another way to, a great way to strengthen your grip. Also heavy carries. So just picking up heavy dumbbells and doing farmer walks, picking up uh, yoke or um, I'm sorry, farmer handles or kettlebells or a heavy wheelbarrow is a great way to strengthen your grip. If you wanna build a grip that's specific to training in the gi, you can bring your gi to the gym and hook it up to different cable machines and do curls and tricep pushdowns and pull-ups and rows with your gi. That's another great way to strengthen a lot of the small muscles and ligaments in your hands and fingers. And then the other thing that I'm a big fan of when it comes to grip strength is doing uh, plate pinches. So you basically grab two uh, change plates, so like a f two fives or uh, two tens, or if you have a bumper plate, like a 25 pound bumper plate that's smooth on all sides, it doesn't have a ridge in there, you're going to put those two plates together or pinch uh, that bumper plate, and you want to keep your four fingers together on one side and then your thumb on the other side, and you're going to pinch it like you're uh, th just like you're pinching something like you have lobster claws and you're pinching those two plates together and you're just going to hold them that's another great way you can strengthen your hands and your forearms to improve your grip strength and then another favorite i'll make this one the last one is bottom up kettlebell training so instead of holding the kettlebell uh in your hand where your hand is gripping the handle and then the bell rests on your forearm when you're doing things like overhead presses try to do it so that way your hand is gripping the handle, but you're balancing the bell of the kettlebell over the top of your hand. This is very tough on the grip, and you have to have a massively strong grip to do this, and it's also great for improving shoulder stability and shoulder strength. Next question from at Rodrigo underscore Alves underscore A. Have you ever went to a competition thinking, I'll do my best, but I probably won't win, question mark. Uh, yeah, and guess what happened? I didn't freaking win. Um, if you go into a competition thinking that you're not gonna win, good luck. You're probably gonna get smoked in the first couple matches. I do think that um, going into a competition with realistic expectations is important. So if you are um, 
if you I say realistic expectation you, you can only let me put it this way you can only control what you can control and you shouldn't worry about the things that are out of your control or the things that are in your control so if you're going into a competition and you're like geez there's a bunch of killers in this bracket the probability of me winning no one's expecting me to win the probability of me winning i don't know what's going to happen so the probability is pretty low that i'm going to win just because i can't guarantee that i actually am but what can i control what do i have control over well i have control over hitting my first move in my first match so that's what i'm going to focus on you have control over your training you have control over how disciplined you are in training camp leading up to a competition yeah i do believe that you should try your best in every jujitsu competition i do believe that you should focus on putting the best putting out on the best performance possible and reaching the highest standards that you've set for yourself but to have that follow-up thought that you're probably not going to win is uh is a unfortunately a self-sabotaging prophecy why would you speak that over yourself that you're probably not going to win there's a great quote by henry ford which i think he originally picked up from confucius and it goes along the lines of whether you think you can or you can't you're probably right so if you think you can win you're probably right and if you've been training hard and if you've been disciplined and, and build confidence for yourself due to the amount of work you've put in you could probably win you have a really good chance of doing that but if you think that you're probably going to lose guess what you're probably freaking going to lose and i know for myself i've made that mistake plenty of times when i was wrestling i would go into these big varsity tournaments and i would think that i I just wasn't confident enough in my skills i would think like oh i'm probably not going to win but maybe i could win a match it's like who the like who thinks like who in the right mind would think that way and expect and then actually win it just it just doesn't happen so it's okay to be realistic in your thought process and recognize like look this is going to be a really tough tournament there are killers in this bracket or i i'm not that experienced at this belt level i just got my purple belt so this is my first competition at purple belt this is going to be pretty hard there's no if ands or buts about it this is going to be hard but I'm going to go in there and do my best. It's one thing to be realistic about the circumstances that you're in. It's another thing to speak over yourself and prophesy over yourself that you're probably not going to win because whether you can or can't, you're probably, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're probably right. Next question from at Trey underscore, underscore, underscore Gill. Tips for shoulder pain and mobility. Man, that's a that's a pretty loaded question because there's so much stuff in regards to shoulder pain and mobility that we can dive into and talk about. Um, Trey, great question. Uh, without working with you in person, it's going to be difficult to say exactly what you should do for your specific needs uh, in injury history in your shoulder. However, here's some good principles that I would look at, especially when it comes to addressing shoulder pain and shoulder mobility. A lot of times, the reason why athletes encounter shoulder pain is because they have poor shoulder mobility. And a lot of times, the reason why athletes have poor shoulder mobility is because the surrounding tissues of the shoulder are really tight and don't allow them to pull their shoulders in the right position or to work through the greatest range of motion that's going to allow them to have healthy, fully functional shoulders. So some things I would look at, uh, if you're dealing with shoulder pain, I would definitely address your traps. 
I would definitely address your T-spine, so kind of your upper back area. And I would address your pecs and your lats. I would mobilize all of those tissues, which are the tissues that surround the shoulder. I would also look at strengthening your upper back, so strengthening your traps, your rhomboids, your rear delts, your infraspinatus, your supraspinatus, all those muscles in the on the backside of your body that are responsible for stabilizing and helping set the shoulder in, in safe and proper positions, I would look at strengthening all of those things. A lot of times when athletes are dealing with shoulder pain, especially grapplers, it's because their upper back is weak and the muscles of the upper back are very tight. Oftentimes, a tight muscle is a weak muscle. And so if your upper back is tight, that means that they're not strong enough to hold and protect your shoulder through all these different ranges of motion that you're taking it in while you're doing jujitsu. So address those things, the traps, the, uh, as far as mobility goes, Trey, I would address your traps, your lats, your pecs, and your rear delts. And then as far as what muscles to focus on strengthening, focus on all those same muscles, uh, on the backside of your back. So your traps, your rhomboids, your lats, your rear delts, and then the muscles are kind of near your rotator cuff, which would be the infraspinatus and the supraspinatus. I'd focus on those as well. Next question from at regular John 33. Chin-ups versus pull-ups for jujitsu? Question mark. And to that question, I would say yes, you need both. It's good to do both. Um, there's a whole people debate crap like this all the time like if you can only do one what should you do conventional deadlift or sumo deadlift it's like why why do we have to pick just one why can't we just do both is it because there's a rule in your gym that says like you can only do one once you pick a side there's this line in the sand once you step over that line into sumo deadlift territory you can't look back it's silly so one isn't necessarily better than the other, but they are different, and it's important to recognize the differences between a chin-up and a pull-up. I'm going to settle this once and freaking for all on this podcast. A chin-up is when your palms are facing your face, and a pull-up are when your palms are facing away from you. So the benefit of doing a chin-up with your palms facing you is that you get full external rotation of the wrist and um, the arm. And so when you have external rotation where you're turning your palm up, you are really making sure that you're opening up your lats and your shoulders when you're in the bottom position, which is really, really, really important. It's important that you have the ability to move your arm and your shoulder through that entire range of motion because you get we get put in a lot of those positions on the mat. And if you start to lack the ability to fully externally rotate your palm, to fully externally rotate at the shoulder, that's gonna lead to a lot higher risk of injury in the future. The other thing that's great about chin-ups is that you get a lot more bicep activation when you're doing chin-ups as opposed as compared to doing pull-ups. And so if you wanna add a little bit of size to your arms, doing lots of chin-ups could be a great way to get you there. And because you have more bicep activation and back activation on chin-ups, that is why uh, they're a little bit easier for most athletes than when compared to pull-ups. Now, pull-ups are also very important because you have to have the adequate mobility to engage the lats at the bottom of a pull-up to have the stability in the shoulder to set your shoulder and set your scapula in the right position when you're doing uh, pull-ups 
and you you get to that bottom hang position and you should work on both you shouldn't isolate one version of a type of movement and in this case the movement is a vertical pull you shouldn't isolate or completely disregard a variation of a movement it's just important to recognize when is the time and place to use those things so the way i program chin-ups and pull-ups for the athletes that i work with and the athletes that i train with in the am crew is we'll do about three weeks of pull-ups and then we'll do three weeks of chin-ups and then we'll do three weeks of neutral grip or or v-grip pull-ups just changing the grips about every three to four weeks and then we have different loading parameters based off of what the goals are for the training phase so if the training phase is to build as much muscle as possible then we may do like lots of sets of 10 to 12 reps on chin-ups and then the next phase we'll do lots of sets of 10 to 12 reps on pull-ups if we're trying to get really strong and just build a brutally strong back if we uh, are able to do weighted chin-ups and pull-ups, we may do sets of five for three weeks and then swap it out for a new variation of a vertical pull for uh, sets of five. But great question though, John. Next question from at Willie J. I said it like that because uh, he spells his name with three L's, W-I-L-L-L-E-E-J. His question is, should I replace back squats with zercha squats for BJJ. Um, again, great question. We don't have to fully replace back squats with zercha squats. Uh, there's nothing wrong with back squats, and zercha squats are not the end all be all exercise of squat movements for grapplers. I'm a huge fan of them because of, of uh, a few different key points, which I'll address, but you can do both. There's no rule that says, oh, you do jujitsu, so you can't do back squats anymore. It's important to, to recognize that. The thing is, Grappling athletes come into the strength and conditioning world with uh, specific needs to help them perform their best in jujitsu, and oftentimes they come into the gym with pre-existing issues. And so most of the time, those pre-existing issues come from uh, poor mobility and sometimes elbow and shoulder injuries from getting cranked on kimuras and arm bars. And when you do a back squat, to do a back squat properly, you really have to cram your shoulders and your elbows underneath that bar to lock in your upper back. And for some jujitsu athletes, actually not some, for a lot of jujitsu athletes, that over time can cause even more shoulder pain and even more elbow pain. And what's great about the Zertra squat is that because you're holding the bar and the crook of your elbows, you can avoid aggravating some of those nagging shoulder and elbow injuries. Now, the other thing that makes the Zertra squat great is that because the bar is loaded in the front of your body, it's going to put a lot more load and pressure on your abs and the surrounding muscles of your trunk. And it puts a lot of load and strain on your upper back. So when you do Zertra squats, you can get a really strong upper back, which is very important for grappling because really any technique that you're going to use in grappling, at least effectively, you have to find a way to disrupt your opponent's posture, structure, or base. And posture, if you can break their posture down by pulling their head down and rounding their upper back, you have a much better chance of being able to successfully fire off one of those techniques. And so if you're able to 
improve in your resistance to your opponent doing those techniques to you, one of those things that's going to help is building a really strong upper back and really strong posture. And so that's one of the benefits of the Zercher squat is that we can work around some of the nagging shoulder and elbow injuries that a lot of grappling athletes have. We get a ton of trunk stability and trunk strength because the bar is loaded in the front of the body. And we also get similar benefits for the upper back. Next question, another one from a boy, Rodrigo. Rodrigo, we got we got a lot of questions from you, bro. I appreciate it. At Rodrigo underscore Alves underscore A, do you have any tips on dealing with body image issues affecting decisions to cut or build muscle? Man, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question too, Rodrigo. Um, it's going to depend on the individual, right? Uh, body image issues are definitely a very real thing. Um, I remember in high school, people thought I had big bigorexia because I kept wanting to get more jacked, which I don't think that's definitely true. I was 130 pounds, 140 pounds in high school, so I definitely could have uh, <laughs> benefited from getting bigger. Um, but it, it's hard to break that, like the our, the self-identity that we we set for ourselves, right? So everyone else may see us a certain way, but it can be very hard sometimes for us to break the mold of how we see our own self. And if that is something that you're struggling with, like you only see yourself as you're, you have too much body fat on you, or you're not big enough, you're not strong enough. That's, it can be tough to balance out with setting healthy, you know, manageable goals to decrease body fat or to pack on a little bit more muscle. And so my tips for you, Rodrigo, would be to try to place, try to focus more on the, uh, the development and progress rather than the end destination. It's good to have an end destination as a goal or something you're shooting for, right? Or the expectations that you have to get to someday. Those can be good things as like your guiding star to help you along the, the path to get there and point you in the right direction. But focus, I would encourage you to focus more on the process and the development that you're going through. So for example, uh, for me, I had a, a big issue when I was in high school where if I didn't have abs, I felt like I was getting fat, which is just not true. I felt like if I didn't have like super peeled abs with ab veins, then I was getting fat, which is just totally not true, right? Like as a 134 pound wrestler, uh, having ab veins, it's just not necessary. Like I could have afforded to gain a couple more pounds of body fat to let my joints feel better, to be a little bit stronger and just be a little bit and improve my quality of life for not being so freaking lean all the time. Um, and so that was something I struggled with because even in the off season, I didn't want to lose those ab veins. I was like, I, I can't, I can't gain weight at all. Like I need to stay like this shredded all the time. And the thing was I was focusing on the expectation and the result. That was the big issue. The expectation and the result was I need to stay shredded. I wasn't focused on the development or the process side of things. Now, if I had a healthy relationship in that period of my life with myself, it would have been, okay, my goal or the expectation I want to have is I want to be a really fit, really athletic, jacked athlete. I do want to have abs. I do want to have more muscle. I do want to be jacked and tan. That's what it's all about, right? But I'm not going to let that uh, negatively affect me 
and negatively distract me from enjoying the process of getting there and tracking my own development. So if I was focused more on the development side of things, my mindset would have shifted to, hey, to build a little bit more muscle, I need to understand that I'm going to put on a little bit more weight. I may not be as shredded as I am right now as I'm building a little bit more muscle. And that's 100% okay because this is the developmental side of things and this is the process that I have to go through to eventually get to that end goal. And when you focus in Rodrigo, when you focus on the process and your own development more so than focusing on the expectation or the end goal, you may reach a point where your end goal and your expectation starts to shift a little bit. You recognize like, you know what, actually, I thought I wanted that as my end goal, but now I want to tweak it a little bit. I'm kind of getting a better understanding of what it's going to take to get to that end goal. And that may not be realistic for me right now at this time in my life, but I can tweak that goal and get really close. Or actually, you know, what's an even better goal is going for this goal instead. This is going to be, I'm really passionate about this and I'm going to chase this goal down. So I hear you on this and, and I'm sorry that, you know, this is something that you're, you're dealing with. A lot of athletes deal with this and it does, you know, dealing with body image issues definitely affects their decisions on how they should train sometimes in positive ways, but most of the time in negative ways, unfortunately. So my encouragement to you would be focus more on the process, focus focus more on the developmental side of things and ensure that you're continuing to make progress in the right direction and allow those expectations and goals to kind of guide you in that right direction, but be more concerned with the process, be more concerned with the, the progress that you're making and the developments that you're making. Next question. This one's a, uh, a freaking weird one. <laughs> I get, well, we'll see. So this is from at make Macintosh. I think he, he asked a question a couple of podcast episodes ago. His question is how does having sex five times per week influence your recovery? Can I get a big, Hey now? Um, so let me just put it this way. Uh, sexual activity, just like any other physical activity or you should just treat sexual activity just like any other physical activity in terms of recovery. It's not about how much you do. It's about, it's really not about what you do. It's about what you can recover from, right? So if five times per week is something that you can recover from, uh, it's not really my place to say whether that's good or bad for you. Uh, it seems a little excessive in my opinion, but this is my opinion. But if you can recover from that, cool. If you can't and you're having issues with recovery, well, then treat it like how you would treat training. If you're going to jujitsu five times a week and you're so wrecked and you're so blasted that you can hardly have any energy to do anything else, you probably aren't recovering and may need to drop your jujitsu training down to three, maybe four times a week. But if you can recover, cool. Just keep keep doing what you're doing. So um, I don't know. I, I can't really speak to this outside of just treat it like training. Um, if it's when people ask with jujitsu, you could honestly, let me put it this way. When people ask about, uh, how many days a week should I lift for jujitsu? My answer is always the same. Lift as many days as you can, just as long as it doesn't negatively impact your jujitsu training. So is having sex five times a week too much? Well, I don't know. That's going to, you have to answer that, you know, have sex as many times as you want. Uh, with a loving, consenting spouse, 
as long as it doesn't negatively impact your jujitsu training or other areas of your life that you have goals in. So that's all I got to say about that. Next question from at mig.gza in regards to programming a workout week, are the main and accessory movements different each day? Great question. Migs, I freaking love I love you, dog. This is one of my favorite questions to answer. I love talking training. I love talking programming. Um, so, e- yes, the main movement and accessory movements will switch from training day to training day, but they don't always have to. So, for example, the thing is you don't want to do the same thing every day all the time forever because, one, it's freaking boring, and, two, there's this thing called the law of accommodation. Eventually, your body's going to accommodate, and it's not going to get, you're not going to get the same amount of benefit at, out of certain exercises if you never change things up. Variation every once in a while is actually a good thing. And then we also need to look at we need to allow the body time to recover from different movements and from different exercises. So you can't squat heavy. If you train three days a week, you can't squat super heavy the day one, day two, and day three, mainly because it's going to be really hard for your body to recover from that in any way that's going to allow you to make progress. If you wanted to squat heavy on one day and then give yourself a little bit of a break and on the next training session, do some sort of heavy press, that works out great because on the day where you're squatting heavy, your upper body is recovering. And on the day where you're pressing heavy, your lower body is recovering. So when you're designing a a week of training, you do want to rotate the main movement uh, across each training day because those main movements are going to be most fatiguing and most stimulating and require the most amount of recovery after those training sessions. So on one day, for example, like this next week of training that I have uh, for the AM crew, we're going to be front squatting really heavy on day one. And then we're going to rotate to a new main movement on day two. And we're going to do a uh, incline bench press. And then on day three, we're going to do something a little bit different. And so you do want to rotate those big main movements each day. Some accessory movements can be kept in each day of the week, but they can't be too uh, fatiguing or induce too much stimulus that's going to be too hard for you to recover from so something that we would do on a daily basis would be like hey at the end of every workout we're just going to get a couple extra sled drags in sled drags are really easy to recover from we're not going too heavy we're just doing a few extra sled drags to get some more blood flow through our lower body uh stimulate the glutes the hamstrings the quads uh calves things like that or maybe we'll do like hey at the end of Every workout this week, we're just going to finish with sets of shrugs, three to four sets of 25 reps. We're not going too heavy. Nothing's going to make us sore. We can recover very quickly from this, but it's just a way that we can get in some extra training for that particular body part at the end of each training session. And then there are those exercises that kind of fall in the middle. They're not your main movement, but they're not the finisher accessory movements that are just kind of like extra pump work at the end of a workout. They may be your secondary exercises or your tertiary exercises, which are still kind of heavy and still induce a decent amount of fatigue, but they're not as hard as the main movement. So say for like an upper body day your main movement would be a floor press and then your secondary movement would be heavy pull-ups or a dumbbell press of some kind 
those, even though they're not as fatiguing as the floor press, you do want to rotate those in or vary those from training session to training session. So if on day one, we do the lower body session, we do kind of go pretty hard for the lower body, but maybe we finish with some really light upper body stuff like those, the shrugs or, uh, we'll just stick with the shrugs. Let's just say you finish with those shrugs. The next day, you want to give your lower body a break and you can go heavy and do a lot of work for the upper body and still finish with those shrugs and the other really light upper body movements. And then on day three, by that point, your lower body's pretty recovered so you can hit your lower body decently hard again and be ready to, to go from there. So kind of a a combobulated answer Migs. i apologize but in simplicity for simplicity's sake let's just say you want to rotate your main movements every training day some of the accessories can stay the same across the week but you probably want to vary those as well next question from coke quick combat any tips on moving down a weight class about 10 pounds with 18% body fat? Great question. So I've said this before uh, on Instagram and I'm pretty sure on this podcast, I feel very strongly that athletes should not be cutting weight for jujitsu unless they are 13% body fat or below. That being said, that's not to say that I don't believe you should be moving down in a weight class. I just don't think that you should do these crash diets or try to cut a bunch of water weight to fit within a weight class if your body fat percentage is over 13%. So if you're 18% body fat, like like this gentleman is, and he wants to move down 10 pounds in a weight class, I think that's totally fine. I think that's very doable and that's very reasonable. The best way to do that is to be within a caloric deficit, which basically means you are spending more energy throughout the day in calories than the amount of food that you're consuming in calories. That's what it means to be in a calorie deficit. Think of it like a budget with money. You are spending more money than you're making. That would put you at a financial deficit. A calorie deficit is the exact same thing except with food. And you want to be in a caloric deficit so much so that you start to lose about one to one and a half pounds of body weight on average per week. So you want to weigh yourself every day, same time every day. This is what I suggest for all the athletes I work with. As soon as you wake up, go to the bathroom. Do not drink any water. Do not take your vitamins. Do not sip on coffee. Go to the bathroom. Weigh yourself right after you go to the bathroom. That's the most accurate reading of what your weight is going to be. Do this every day and then take an average of those daily weigh-ins because your weight's going to fluctuate by a couple pounds each day. Like today I weighed 162, but yesterday I weighed 160. I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow I wake up and I weigh 161. It just fluctuates like that for a lot of different reasons. But take the your average weight across the week and you should be looking to lose about one to one and a half pounds of body weight per week. So um, you do that, that would take you anywhere from five to three weeks. I'm not great at math, but it's probably like three to five weeks of being in a caloric deficit. Now I'll put you in that you know next lowest weight class. It'll be a nice, gradual, sustained fat loss phase. 
So that way it's something that's actually manageable and you can stay at that lower weight class. That would Those would be my tips for you. And then last question from Rizzodino. Is lifting after BJJ class good or bad? Great question. I actually did an entire podcast episode on this in the past, so I would highly suggest you go back and listen to that one. I would say this. First, when determining when you should lift or do your strength and conditioning work in relation to your jujitsu training, put it wherever it's going to get done. So if your schedule only allows for you to lift right after jujitsu, great. That's when you should lift. If your schedule only allows you to lift six hours before you go to jujitsu, great. That's when you lift. If you have a little bit more flexibility in your work schedule and your lifestyle to choose when you're going to lift in relation to your jujitsu classes, I would suggest lifting anywhere from five to six hours before your jujitsu training. That will allow you plenty of time to have a great strength and conditioning session. You have time to get in some food to replenish uh, your body after that session. Plenty, You'll have plenty of time to digest that food, go on a 10-minute walk, all that good stuff, and then be pretty recovered to have a great jujitsu training session after that. So the thing is, when you go to jujitsu, if jujitsu is your primary sport, you want to give your best effort and really empty the tank at those jujitsu training sessions. And it's hard to lift when you do that at jujitsu. I've tried it. I just, I really don't like it. I really don't like to lift after jujitsu. I'd much rather lift beforehand. So Rizzodino, I hope that answers your question. And thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Strength Matrix Podcast. My name is Josh Selledge. I am the BJJ Strength Coach. And if you got any value or benefit from this podcast episode, I would really appreciate it if you screenshot this episode, post it on social media, tag your boy at Joshua Settledge. And if you have questions that you'd like to submit for the podcast, you can just put them in the little question box on Instagram whenever I do them. Do about two to three Q&As per week. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll catch you guys later. Peace.